What you got? I don't know where the rest of it's at. You got some in that box if you'd like them, yep. Hey, yeah. Make a make a three hole. Need a three hole. All right. Well, we got room for two more. We got some extras. I think we pretty got it. We all got it. I know they're not coming. They got married this weekend. They got married yesterday. Well, good morning. Never mind the people in the front row eating Waffle House breakfast. Try not to be distracted by the amazing smell. How's everybody doing? Got some new faces this week? You're getting, you know, week three, we just got to bring everybody, sort of get them a little closer together. We figure you've had two weeks to... No, they got the Elevate Student Conference going on, so um, they had 140 kids. And we had like, you know, 30-something, so we figured it'd probably be better for us to take the smaller room. Uh, but it'll work out good. So obviously, we'll have the screen here, and we're going to move into week three. Any questions before we get started from week one and week two? Who remembers what week one was about? What was the title? What is the gospel? That's right. Week two. That was been seven days ago. Power of God's Word. That's right, the Bible. Are you a, are you a teacher? Hey, Cammy. Good morning. You want us to uh, get you a chair so you can sit by your friends? I got one right here. We got it all figured out. All right. So in this week, does anybody anybody look ahead? Uh, Ann looked at the screen. By any chance? Biblical sanctification. It's exciting. As I was, I had a, I made a trip to, uh, to Dallas on Friday and came back on Friday. It's one of those, one of those kind of trips. And um, it was flying, so it's not all bad. So I had some time, obviously, to reflect and go through this again. And, you know, as many times as we've, you know, because we actually, you know, we put this curriculum together for one. Um, but just every time that, uh, come on in. Yeah, no problem. What's going on, man? No problem. Man. We, I think you got two spots right there. There you go. If anybody else shows up, we got more chairs in the front. Sorry, so just the, you know, just going through it again, just, re- you know, reviewing and reminding myself just how powerful it is when God's at work in your life and sanctifying you. We're going to obviously go through it in a little more detail. Um, but, you know, this stuff never gets old. You know, no matter, no matter where you are in your walk as a believer, it's, it's powerful. Uh, so biblical sanctification is the next step. And then week four we go into spiritual service. Um, and then we get pretty close to wrapping up. So before we get in, um, anybody thought of any other questions in the last minute that they need to ask? Everybody's got books, pins, everybody's comfortable, cozy for sure. You get to really know the people in the next to you. All right, let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this day. And I thank you for this group of people, Father, that have just committed you know, to growth track. 
God, into being a part of your body, God, and, and God, serving you, God, in, in, in any capacity that they can. And I pray, Father, that we would leave here differently than the way we came in, and God, that the power of your word and God, your truth, God, would speak to our hearts. God, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, biblical sanctification, week three, is in our growth track series, and it gives us the steps of biblical sanctification. First part here, the word sanctification comes from the word sanctify. Okay, sanctify simply means to be set apart, to be set apart. So my question is, you know, what are we, what are we being set apart from? Sin. That's right. So as, as, as we learned with the gospel, remember we, we learned that humanity was sinful, and because of what Christ did, ultimately we now have relationship with God. So we were set apart from who we once were. So the process of sanctification starts when? At the moment of salvation, and when does it end? At death, right? So, so we are first justified by Jesus, right, in his, in his finished work of the cross. Then we, are, we go through this sanctifying process where he is molding us and shaping us and transforming us by the gospel. And then we are glorified, ultimately, whenever we go to him, whether we die from this natural earth or he comes back for us. So this process of sanctification at this point is what we are all currently in as believers. So sanctification is the process that all believers are in from the moment of their salvation. From the moment of their salvation. I want to read a verse for you in Philippians 1.6. Anybody know it offhand? There was. It's not a, just in case somebody did. I was going to give you a chance. I guess I need to get down. I'll take this out of lockdown mode here. Can you... Uh, can y'all grab each a chair right there, please? Okay. Yeah, don't come on in with them. We'll set them up over here. So one six says this, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So that right there, we should set it up in there. I, I hate to say to put it in the corner, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah, no problem. You only get two demerits. So it says, he who began a good work will bring it through into the day of Christ. And that's the picture there for us when, when Paul's speaking to the Philippian church, that when you, know, when you come into knowing Christ and salvation, he is going to walk you through this process that we call sanctification. From the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. From the moment. So that's in that moment. And we talked about this a few weeks in the Ephesians series. Remember when, uh, I believe it was Ben that spoke about it, and it was the, the greatness of his power. That in that moment of salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not just a partial level of it comes into our heart, but all of it does, right? It's in that moment that that takes place. The sanctification process is a lifelong process of being set apart unto God in ways in which we think, we speak, and we act. So it's a lifelong process and ways in which we think, speak, and act. So how many of us here struggle with the things that we think, the things that we speak, and the things that we act? That's right. If you, dot, if you didn't raise your hand, you weren't paying attention to the question. 
That's right. So that's, so that's the process of sanctification, that in, in our life, all the things that we do, our behavior is being molded and shaped by the gospel. And that's the process that's taking place. The primary tool, to catch this, the primary tool that the Holy Spirit uses to mature us as believers or to sanctify us, because another good way to put it, is what? God's Word. God's Word. That is, that is God's revealed truth to us. Right? There's no more new revelation to take place. What Jesus did on the cross is the finished work of the cross. And His Word that we now have through that from Genesis to Revelation is the, is the word that changes us and actually what transforms us in our lives. The Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity. It was written to transform our lives. It was written to transform our lives. And let's look at Titus 1.1. Paul speaking here and he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So catch that part there. The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So it's that knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And we look in Proverbs 1-7, it says that the, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And the idea is, is we understand God is sovereign and is holy. Remember, that was point one of week one, that God is creator and he is holy. And that's where this process starts, and it flows through in that way. So the living out of God's word is like taking the word of God and putting it on like a new change of clothes. And this is the picture we get in the book of Titus chapter 2, which we'll read here. But even when you go in 2, 1 through 10, and there's a part here we'll show you, I want to point out, shows us another element of sanctification. But let's read through these 10 verses. It says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for what sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, they would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, and not showing, uh, and, but showing good fidelity, that they what may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So he keeps bringing us back to this same thing that adorning the scripture, the reality of the truth of God's word. He circles back onto it two, three different times in there as he gives us the ideas, older men, older women, young women, young men, breaks it into those categories. And he goes into bond servants. And for us, that looks like what we do in the workplace. All of us in the workplace are essentially a bond servant, whether we're serving in a volunteer or a pay capacity. The idea is we're to do it with obedience, the other one. Because here, catch this right here. Attractive truth is applied truth. Attractive truth is applied truth. And, what I, and when you think about that, think about it in your own life. When you see someone doing something in truth, something in, in sincerity, isn't it impactful in your life? Isn't it something that you notice versus someone that's doing it for maybe a show, you know, or something that they, they're kind of soaking up all of themselves, so the idea is when we have the right truth, which is the truth of God's word, and we apply it correctly, 
that's when it becomes an attractive truth, and that's when it brings glory to God, and that's when it allows other people to see the working of Christ in your life and ultimately the power of who he is. The living out of our lives that honor God should be the result of reading and studying God's Word. The Word of God is the tool. Now, for all of you, for all of you English majors here, the tool, that's a definite article. So that means it is the tool. It's not a tool. It is the tool that God uses to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus. It conforms us to the image of His Son, Jesus. We are all at different stages of this journey and become and becoming more like Christ in the ways that we, we're going to come back here, the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. The way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. How's everybody doing here for temperature? Everybody okay? Is it a little warm? It's warm? I can feel some perspiration on me, so I'm figuring it's kind of happening to y'all too. I'm not as close to everybody as y'all are. Okay, the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. So how many of you here um, have had those moments where you see another believer and you're like, whoa, I can't believe they said that, or man, I can't believe they think like that, or I can't believe they act like that. So I would, I would encourage you in this. It, it's not to say whether it's right or wrong, but remember, when we look at this process of sanctification, are we not all at different levels of being sanctified in this process? Now, that's not an excuse obviously, for sin. Um, but remember, we're all, we're all in a process, and we're practicing righteousness, right? That's what First John chapter 3 talks about, that we practice righteousness. So when we practice in righteousness, just like if you're practicing sports, you're practicing band, you're practicing anything, do you do it all correct? Is everything right? No, because you're practicing, right? Doctors do it their whole career, right? We don't have any problem with it. They practice on you, right? So the idea here is, is that we're all in different places. And the reason why I say that is, you know, obviously we want to be able to exhort one another in, in well-doing, and we want to encourage, obviously, truthfulness. But at the same token, we need to understand that people are at different places in different times of their life, and you can't expect someone to always think what you are, right? So our heart has been fully renewed in Christ. But our flesh, what we have here walking on this earth, is not completely renewed yet. And when will it be? When we're glorified, when we're fully glorified. Now, there's a practice that takes place, and it becomes better and better because of the, because of the working of what in our life? What do we say is the primary tool, the tool? God's Word. God's Word. So look here at James 1, 21 through 25. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. Now catch this right here. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's pretty profound. So the picture is you walk up to a mirror, you view yourself in the mirror, you take a good look at yourself, and you walk away and you completely forget what you just saw. Now, it doesn't speak to whether you like it or anything, okay? We're not talking about vanity here. But it's drawn a parallel that as a believer, if you know what Christ has done in you and who you are because of Christ and what we're, and what we're being called to walk out, 
and then we turn around and we do the complete opposite. That's the picture he's showing there. That we, we are to walk in righteousness, to be doers of the word, right? Because, because of what? Because of our own strength? No, because of what? Because of what Christ has done in us. Because of who we are in Christ. Because of the power of his great might, as Paul says to the Ephesians, that's implanted at that moment of salvation. That's the difference. So there's three basic steps in biblical sanctification that we're going to look at here this morning. One is understanding. Understanding. God's pattern for spiritual growth starts with understanding. What the Bible says is what it means. The meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. And if you don't know what it means, you don't have the truth. So the process of spiritual growth starts with understanding what the Bible says. The process of spiritual growth starts with understanding what the Bible says. True sanctification begins with the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. You're not going to get there through an emotional or mystical experience. Spiritual growth won't happen by osmosis. And it requires the discipline of constantly putting God's truth in your mind. Constantly putting God's truth in your mind. I need a little bit of coffee. Excuse me. Constantly putting God's truth in your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this may be a familiar verse to some of you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, yourself, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed. And when we look at the word transform, that's metamorphosis is what that means. So there's an actual changing. So when a, so when a caterpillar butterfly process takes place right in the cocoon, it goes in as, as that, and then it comes out as what? A butterfly. There's a metamorphosis that's taking place. So that's what it's talking about here. There's a transformation by the renewing of your mind. That's how it happens, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that picture there for us of this understanding comes through this transformation process. And the only way we, understand, we have this transformation process takes place is if we allow the Word of God to work in our hearts. Ephesians five twenty five and 26 talks about a husband and a wife relationship in Christ. And he speaks that, that they're by the washing of the water of God's Word in her life is what changes us. And it's the same thing that holds true for us each day, that there's a, a washing of the water of God's Word in our life. For you science people out there, water is known as what? The universal what? Universal solvent, right? So that doesn't mean that obviously, you know, you think about it. For those of you who have like a, you know, cement at your house, you have a leaky gutter or something like that. You know, it starts off as just a drip, but years down the road, what do you have? You begin to get pitting, right? And a hole. And just that simple water droplet begins to just break down the thing. And you think that that's just because it's just because of the impact of it. But it's actually the way that water is made up with the atoms and the molecules that actually it, it, it holds tight to the things next to it and actually pulls it apart and removes it from that. So the same thing holds true for us in our lives, that the Word of God comes in and it's a, and it's a process that slowly washes us and gets rid of the old stuff and, and, and replaces with things of godliness. So that's the idea that's taking place here, that there's this transformation. It's not just that you begin to, you're like, oh, I, you all of a sudden, well, I see that differently in the way I saw it before. Well, it's not because you just thought that up on your own. 
that's because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You know, for those of you who have, have known Christ for a long period of time, if you think back, you know, if you can think back 10, 15, 20 years possibly, you probably think completely different about things then that you do now, right? And it's just, that's just how the process works. And that's a picture of Christ working in your life and, and just renewing your mind and your spirit. Because our minds, believe it or not, why it says the mind specifically, is after, after your mind does a certain thing so many different times, you know, obviously a habit is formed, there's a, there's a repetitive thing that takes place, and there's a part of your mind that doesn't really have to think about that anymore, and it does it, it, does it automatically. Now, we see it negatively in different types of addiction and so forth and so on. But there's a process that has to be renewed, and it has to happen over and over again to where your mind begins in a place where this is just, this is what it does, because it's been completely transformed. It's no longer what it was before. It speaks to our physical as well as our, as well as our spiritual. We must also understand ourselves. We must also understand ourselves, and we need to understand our strengths and our weaknesses. We need to be aware of the areas in which we need to grow spiritually. And we're going to go into Romans 12 here and kind of break that down a little further. But it's important for us to know what our strengths and our weaknesses are. Romans 12, 3, continuing on, it says, For by a grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith of God has distributed to each of you. In accordance with the faith of God has distributed to each of you. So think of your with sober judgment. I'd like to break that down to being honest with ourselves. Right? So we have two thoughts. We have the one of where we would like to be in a certain situation, and then we have the thought of where we actually are in that moment. Both are important, right? Because it's an honest assessment of, of our lives. Now, the only way, I mean, look, think about it in your own life. If, if you're in complete denial about a certain situation, I mean, go, just go really extreme with it, then you'll never admit to it, right? You don't feel like whether it's for whatever reason it is. But when we begin to allow ourselves to be honest, and I say, like for myself, I struggle with patience. You know? But if I, if I take the idea of that everybody else has got the problem is the reason why I'm impatient, well, then, uh, you know, then I'm, hindering, I'm hindering the spirit working in my life in that area because I don't have, as far as I'm concerned, I don't have a problem. Everybody else has got the problem, right? You know, that I'm the, I'm the victim, but whenever in reality, that's not the case. We're not the victim, right? What do we learn in the gospel? We are the, we're actually the, we're the perpetrator, right? We're the one that's on the wrong side of it. Now, and that's not to mean somebody can't do something wrong to you, but the picture is there. We need to have an honest assessment of ourselves so that why? So that we can target that through Scripture and, then let, and, let, and allow God to change that in our lives. Spiritual growth begins with understanding understanding the biblical text and understanding yourself with sober judgment. We must look into the mirror of God's word and be willing to honestly evaluate our spiritual condition based upon our understanding of the text. Our understanding of God's word leads us to the next step in this process of sanctification. And I heard this quote uh, two weekends ago, and he says, this guy said, he said, I get into God's word until God's word gets into me. And that's not a one-time thing. So we get into God's Word so that God's Word, until it gets into us. But think about that. That's a process that compete, completely repeats itself over and over again. That's not a one-time thing. That's like we get it and then we move on. We're constantly understanding the truth of God's Word. 
The next page there you've got uh, shows you this kind of this comparison and contrast of what the old man. Yes, ma'am. That one. There you go. And understanding yourself with sober judgment. Is that the one? Thank you for stopping us. So don't raise your hand. I'm just moving along. So there's a, there's a chart there that shows, obviously, two different sides of the, the old man versus the new man or woman. It's not used in a gender-specific role here. Um, so, what, so the way you believed, so you got the beliefs of how you believed before Christ, and then I would even say you have, through this process, kind of these old beliefs, even as a young Christian. So it just breaks them down, beliefs. Your values begin to change. Your behaviors begin to change. Habits begin to change, right? How many of you have, maybe you knew somebody in high school, and you see them years down the road, and they're like, um... So you don't do this anymore, you know, or you've, you've changed, right? You know, I mean, if you had, I was like, whoa, whoa, that's never would have thought you would have been that guy, right? I mean, I've heard that so many times. Because, and it's for one reason. It just shows you the power of God's word and the power of it to transform people's lives. You, know, you listen to some people's, and look, everybody's testimony is just as amazing. But I'm always probably personally amazed when you hear of this person that was, you know, like take Paul, for example, when he was Saul. And the reality of what he did to being the guy that writes the great majority of the New Testament. You know, I mean, it's just, it's in those moments we understand that the grace of God is unmerited, right? It is undeserved by any of us. You know, and maybe, you know, sin is sin. Um, and maybe you're not as wicked as you could have been. But the reality is still is the same. You were separated from God in that moment. Relationships begin to change. You know, um, your outlook on life and what is what's important. You know, maybe you were in a in a business role where you just were completely driven by a certain part of your of, of business. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about running a good business and being a good a good owner or a good manager. But what I'm speaking is you were driven differently. You know, your your mind becomes to shift to kingdom principles where you begin to maybe invest more in your employees than you would have before. And it wasn't a step on top of each other approach. You know, things change in your life. Your dreams begin to change. Your purpose, you realize that your purpose is what now as a believer? To, to be a servant, to exalt Christ in all that we do. Whereas previously, what was, what was our purpose? To serve ourselves. That's right. Do as much as you can for yourself. Climb, climb as high as you can by stepping on as many people as possible, right? Your environment changes. Places you went before you no longer go to. Uh, in some cases, it affects your careers, right? You know? Maybe, maybe it's not necessarily that your career was one that you know, wasn't, wasn't godly, but maybe it was a position that, that put you in a spot that it was, was real tough. Or maybe, maybe it was a, a career that you get out of because it is not, it's, not, it's not biblical, right? Our character, our morals, our old desires and passions become new desires, and our language changes, right? How many of you had, have had language changes, right? All of us, pretty much, Right? And the reality is, is it's just, it's just part of the process. You know, and I've been, and I've got some friends and that are believers, and, you know, we get, in, you get in these moments of excitement, you know, you drop something on your foot, you know, you run into a door frame and, you know, that old man kind of manifests itself sometimes, right? 
but but I can tell you through through my own experience personally, and you know when when you see somebody when you see God working in somebody's life, when when that so-called mistake or that lapse happens, there's an immediate oh that comes over them, and it's like, all right, well, my encouragement is when you see somebody do that, don't chastise them in that moment. Exhort the fact that the Holy Spirit's working in their life and that the conviction of God is moving in their life, that they see it as a problem. And then the next time, those things just get easier and easier for us. You know, I know with my, with my kids right now, um, many of you may have heard, you know, heard somebody allude to this, but as they get older, and they're not old yet, but what I'm learning is, is, you know, I can only, and my wife can only say so many ways on how to do it right and so many things to do and so much discipline and so forth to come on. But at a certain point, they've got to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life. And if I believe them to be believers of God, then what I need to do is obviously I still need to practice discipline and I still need to talk about right from wrong, but I need to equally exhort the working of the Holy Spirit in their life. And hey, when you did this, did you, what, what did you feel? You know, did you feel the Holy Spirit responding to your heart? Did you see something that was, that you were like, ah, oh, I should have done that? Was it just because mom and dad said don't do that? Or was it in addition to what also the Holy Spirit's doing in your life? So the same thing holds true for us, even as adults, that we exhort one another in godliness and that we lift each other up and show and bring, and bring to the forefront the response of Christ in that person's life. Point two takes us to conviction, which is what we were just speaking on. As you grow in your understanding of the Bible, you begin to develop convictions out of that understanding. So that's important, though, that the conviction needs to come out of the understanding of the gospel, the truth of God's words. Those convictions or beliefs determine how you live or at least how you endeavor to live. As God's truth takes over your mind, it produces principles that you do not desire to violate. That's sanctification. It's the transformation of your heart and your will that compels you to obey God's word. I'm sorry. As you grow in your understanding, you begin to develop convictions out of that understanding. And those convictions or beliefs determine how you live or at least how you endeavor to live. Did everybody get them? Transformation of your heart and your will that compels you to obey God's word. We got it? So Paul speaks of how his convictions were influenced by what he believed. Second Corinthians 4.13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith... Yes. Yes, sir. This one? All right. No problem. No, yeah, we're gonna, we want the coffee. You ain't getting the coffee. You can have the cart. No problem. Thank y'all. You can have our cart, but you can't have our coffee. It's no problem. Kind of brought some flavor to the class. All right, 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. So remember, what comes first, the believing or the speaking? We believe first the, the truth of God's word, and then we speak the truth of God's word. We don't speak what we think is the truth and then believe what we spoke. 
we got to believe truth first, and then we speak truth. Because don't we get it backwards sometimes, right? If we allow our emotions and our, um, you know, just our personal things to get in the way. That's why if you read it in Scripture, it's constantly bringing us back to understanding the truth of God's Word first. And then, and then we become doers of the Word. Paul believed, therefore he spoke. When you read the Bible, you're not just trying to know it academically. This is important. Because you're studying the Word of God to develop a set of convictions that rule your life, inform your conscience, and guide you toward greater Christ-likeness. Understanding Scripture and understanding things maybe at an, an academic level is not so much necessarily a problem, and it will be a part of it, but that's not why we do it. You do it so the truth of God's Word is in your heart so that you can be a doer of that word once you understand the truth of God's word, which back in Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, so that we would be able to discern the will of God. And what's the will of God? To exalt Christ. To exalt Christ. That's so it all, it all stair steps, and it has, if it doesn't start like what we did in week one on what is the gospel, if we don't have an understanding of who that, that, that process, then everything else gets, gets diluted from there. You know, it's like, a, it's like a, when you shoot a, a bow and arrow, for example, and right here, right at the tip of the arrow, there's not much difference. But if I'm off one degree, you know, from my target, and I go down, have a four, I'm going to be way off by the time I get there. And the same thing's true in our lives. If we don't start off with centering on Christ, and we don't head for that, then guess what? Our trajectory just goes off in all kinds of different ways, and then we find ourselves in our own beliefs and our own ideas and wacky theology, right? That's what ends up taking place. Godly convictions that are developed in your life form exposure to transformational truth that look like this. And point three takes us to affection. Affection. First Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by is, you may grow up in salvation. Break it down a little better here. It says, just like a baby longs for its mother's milk, as believers in Christ, we should have the same hunger for God's word. Our affections are influenced by what we're feeding on, and we begin to love what we consistently put into our mind, into our heart. So that idea of consistently there, which means there is an alternative for you to put something in there that's not God's truth, and it can still be consistent, but guess what it's going to do? It's going to set that trajectory off in the wrong direction. We consistently put into our mind and heart. If you are truly growing spiritually, you don't read the Bible as mere education. You don't study it just to win an argument. You don't approach it casually or carelessly. And you don't flippantly disregard its truth. If you're truly growing, you come to Scripture eager for the spiritual nourishment it alone provides. Your affection and hunger for God's truth will be continual and nothing will keep you from it. So that idea of not using it to win an argument, right? It, any of you ever had somebody wanted to get into an argument or a discussion about it, um, about the things of God or Scripture, or want to counteract what you believe? Sometimes it comes in the form of another believer, but a lot of times it comes by someone who's not a believer, right? And you will never, ever win an argument with a non-believer about just sheer Scripture because they don't understand the way you do, because they're not a believer. Christ is not in it. What does it say in Scripture? It says the works of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. So 
you know, in those moments, you know, I'm not saying you, you don't take opportunity, obviously, to speak God's truth. But don't go into that as a fight that you're going to prove yourself out because of your mere words. What you should do, in fact, is approach is that, yes, I'm going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to advance the gospel. But I need the Holy Spirit to tug on his heart and to draw that person unto repentance before there's going to be any chance of it. But you won't truly, but you won't truly love God's word if it's not already shaping the way that you live. And it can't shape the way you live if you don't know it. That's why a method for spiritual growth that doesn't start with the study of God's truth cannot lead to true sanctification. It cannot lead to true sanctification. And this takes us back to Romans 12, 1 through 3. So we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, that we would not be conformed to the world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we would be able to discern the will of God. That's what's got to take place there in order for, and that's the process by which it takes place. As God's word is consistently put before our eyes and ears, we begin to understand more clearly who God is. As we come to understand who God is and what he requires of us, convictions are developed. And as those convictions are developed, a deep love for God's word becomes the passion of our lives. There's a lot of them there. I'll give you a second. Do we need to? I get one jump. Yep. As God's word is consistently put before our eyes and ears, we begin to understand more clearly who God is. And as we come to understand who God is and what he requires of us, convictions are developed. So when do your convictions develop? Towards the end of the process, right? Right? After we understand the truth of God's word and we have, and we have some consistency in God's word. And as those convictions are developed, a deep love for God's word becomes the passion of our lives. Becomes a passion of our lives. Because we begin to understand that it's only through God's word that there's true change that takes place in our lives. David says here in Psalms 19, 10 and 11, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. And that's speaking to our, the affection of our heart and our desire to know God's word and to know the truth of God's word. Right, so, but, you know, that can be intimidating in the same token, right? I know some of you probably sit here thinking, man, I open up this, I open up this scripture and I just don't have a clue what it says. Or I'm so confused or it doesn't make any sense and so forth. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay, because there's a process that you just have to commit to. Remember, it says we spoke about consistency, and you've got to be committed to God's Word. So, for example, you take a, a text, and you start reading, and you read three verses, and you're like, I don't have a clue. Well, guess what? Come back the next day and read those three verses again. And no matter how long it takes you to get an understanding and to, the, and to see the truth of God's Word in that, then you just keep coming back to it. Guys, it's not a checklist. It's not the read the Bible in a year approach. Although, although that is something that you can do if you'd like, it's not a competition. You've got the rest of your life, right? And which none of us here know when that actually is, first of all. So there's no way for us to space it out correctly anyway. 
So the importance is that you understand the truth of God's Word and that each day you're committing to it and you're committing to understand the truth. Remember, we look back that what the text says is what the text says. We're not looking to bounce all over Scripture to find something that shapes our conviction. We're wanting our conviction to be shaped by the Scripture itself. Because that can happen so easily. You know, think about that. I mean, you may have even heard messages like this in the past where, you know, there's a certain area you want to target in your life. So then you start going to look for all the Scripture that has something to do with that, and then you draw your conclusion as what it is. Well, guess when the Bible was written, it was written in the way in which you read it. They didn't go all over the place and bounce back and forth. Ultimately, is to exalt Christ and everything else in, in, in all of your understanding of it. Look, in the Old Testament, Jesus is seen prophetically, right? They, we speak to the idea that he was going to come and that the Messiah was to come. We get to, the, we get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the history of Christ and when he walked the earth. We go through the epistles and we see the theology of Christ and the understanding of who he is. And then we jump to Revelation and we see what is called eschatological approach where we see to the future of Christ and what's going to happen. But guess what? From Genesis to Revelation, it's all what? It's all to exalt Christ. It all focuses us and centers on Christ. John, first John, excuse me, John 1 says that in the beginning, right, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And it speaks that Jesus is there from the beginning. So he's there through this whole process. Nothing changes there. There's no other book worthy of our full attention and devotion. There's no other book that has the power to transform our lives and the lives of our families and friends. Our prayer for every person here is that you would make a lifelong commitment to love, study, and apply God's word to your life. Apply it to your life, right? So we understand the truth of God's word, and then we apply it, right? Because then that's, that's when it's done in its proper context. That's when we are being honest with ourselves. So that's the end of the material there. So what's some, uh, some questions? Anybody's got some thoughts? Yes, sir. Mr. Lester, correct? Yes. Uh, based, based on this, is my first book here, but you've got two origins of coming to, to this part of your life. You have very little interaction with God's Word, mm-hmm. and then you have a lot of interaction with God's Word, but maybe you have the epiphany and then this, the revelation is hopeful. I've been waiting with one wrong direction. So you're not only trying to find these, these items like we talked about today, but you're having to redefine them. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a, a, not only a wrong, but not only the, this path wasn't taken, that trajectory was way out all the time. So you're speaking to having to pull it back to center, correct? Yeah, so look, just statistically, it takes three to 500 repetitions to form a habit. But it's, some studies have shown that it takes almost 10 times that to correct it and bring it back to center. And that's not, I mean, that's just averages. But no, that's true because, right, because, and that's why it's so important that the, when, from, from get-go that we begin, we center on Christ from the start. And we, and we let that what forms our conviction. Because that's a great point because that's a, that's a struggle. You know, especially if you were just even brought up in religion for example. Let's not even talk about whether you're a believer or not, you know, and you were just brought up in a religious background. Well, there's a whole lot of things that just are blowing your mind 
you know, from what you thought was truth for so long. You know, somebody may live 30, 40, 50 years and all of a sudden realize that it was all a lie. Yeah, 57 years, you know. But, but, the, but where we rest in that is that in Christ, that's, that's more than attainable. You know, and, and that's where and that's where we need to we need to not rest in the in the, the, the how big of a problem we have to deal with, but that in Christ it's it's not gonna be an issue. You're just gonna be faithful and we're just gonna walk it out. That's a great point. Who else? Gotta, gotta be more. I like what you said about um, how like like or like forming habits there's a um, a negative way to express that and a positive way to express that. And uh, I'm just thinking about how it's kind of true for everything and how, like, since the beginning of time, God created everything and ordained it to be expressed in certain ways and to be expressed in, in godly ways. But then, like, whenever sin entered the world, um, humanity decided to, you know, kind of make its own rules and say, this is how we're going to express um, these traits or whatever, and, and it's it's true for many different things: stage of development, um, uh, addiction versus healthy habits, um, just, just anything anything you can really think of that has the capacity for sin could just as equally have the capacity to be good as well. Um, and so that's just something that I was thinking about. That's good. Thank you. Because you actually reminded me of something I forgot to say. It speaks just to that. In, in Colossians 3, um, 3, 8, it's talking about putting on a new self and the forming of this, of this habit, you know, and as you put on something new, it says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, so when we're in Christ, we, we, we shed off that old habit, that thing that's taken place, and, and with its practices. So remember that there's a practice that changes. And we have put on a new self. And that picture there is that it's like putting on a new pair of clothes, like putting on a, a jacket that we put something new on, being, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. So we shed off the old stuff, and then we put on the new stuff, but it's in accordance with who Christ is and the image of our new self. And it speaks to those, those habits that you just spoke of there, that there's a, there's a real change that takes place. But there's an action that we do. We have to put it on. It's just like in the morning when you get dressed. If you've got your clothes laid out, you know, it's not osmosis. You can't stand next to those clothes and they get on you, right? You know, for all of you parents, you wish it did for your children, right? But, you know, it's not the case. You've got to put it, you've got to actually put it on. There's a practice that takes place. There's a practice of righteousness that takes place. Good. Thank you, Zach. What else? What else? Maybe somebody else can remind me of something I forgot. I got till I got till nine thirty. Now I really won't drag it out, but I don't want anybody to miss out on something. If they do want to ask something or say something. We good? What's next week? Spiritual service. So remember, so growth track obviously is, one, it puts us in the place of understanding um, who Christ is and where, how our approach is at Living Word. But as we move into week four, when we talk about spiritual service, the idea is that we want, we want each and every one of you, obviously, to complete this class 
um, and to get involved in the church, to be a, a member of the church, to be a part of the body, right? You know, as we, in multiple places in scriptures, Corinthians and Romans, it speaks about the body and how the, the hand does what it does and the eye and the ear and the feet and the mouth and all these different parts all work together. And that's the same picture for us. And, you know, we're going to talk about that in more detail. But our desire is that we want to be doers of the word because we've been a hearer of the word and because of the truth of what God's done in our life. We don't go out there and just do works, obviously, to just show them off for ourselves, but we do them because of what Christ has done in your life. All right? Y'all ready? Going to be ready for that? We'll probably be back in the other room, but if not, look here. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this morning, and I thank you once again for this group. God, I thank you for your truth and that you're speaking into our lives because of your word. And I pray, Father, that we never, ever, Father, would just approach it casually, and that we would never just see it as something that we just need to get out of the way each day. But, God, that we would have a, a yearning and a desire, God, an eagerness for your gospel, God, that we would be able to, God, Father, understand it, God, that it would bring an exaltation to you, Father. God, in Jesus' mighty name, Father, be with these people. God, grow them and sanctify them. And may your anointing be upon this service as your word is spoken. And God, we may leave here differently in the way we came in. God, because of you, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right.